Well, I, I like to say that if you, you know, if you improve a sales rep, you've improved one person. If you improve a sales manager, you've improved their entire team. You're listening to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience, a podcast dedicated to helping executives train their sales and marketing teams to optimize growth. Whether you're looking for techniques and strategies or tools and resources, you've come to the right place. Let's accelerate your growth in three, two, one. Welcome everyone to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience. I'm your host, Chad Sanderson. Today we're talking about how to take our coaching to the next level. Now, as most people know, the challenge with any transformation initiative from cultural to digital to sales to marketing is ensuring your managers are enabled to effectively support and coach to drive adoption and application. It's a topic many talk about, but few have cracked and is critical to revenue success for executives today as well. So we're excited to have on the show Lee Smith today, CEO of Sales Fuel. Lee, thanks for taking time and welcome to the show. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Oh, perfect. So we always uh, start with a little off-the-wall question just to give our guests uh, or audience a little bit better understanding of you as an individual. So how about a hobby or passion that you have that those that only know you from a work environment may be surprised to learn about? Even the people here at work, though, really aren't, aren't terribly surprised by this because uh, they, they see me out doing it, but I'm a long-distance cyclist. And so if, if you didn't know me by looking at me, I'm built like a linebacker in football. <laughs> So that might surprise you. You think of these cyclists as these tall, skinny guys, you know, with massive calves. I have the massive calves, but I, <laughs> but it's the same with everything else, though. And uh, so, yeah, I often ride, uh, I'll ride 100, 180. Uh, I do a four-day ride for the American Cancer Society to raise funds uh, for their Hope Lodges uh, here in Ohio. That's a 328-mile ride. Wow. Uh, done Pelotonia here in Columbus, 10 years running. And that is a uh, that is basically a fundraiser for the James Cancer Hospital for the research, for cancer research there. So far, we've raised over $128 million for cancer research uh, just with our little event here in Columbus that's going into its 11th year. And, uh, you know, so that's that's what I like to do outside of and being a rabid hockey fan for the Columbus Blue Jackets. And, uh, but, you know, I think everybody knows that part. But uh, some people would be surprised or whatever that uh, I'm not the type of guy you expect to see on a bike uh, riding long distances. Yeah, I'm, I'm built a lot like you as well. And I, <laughs> you're not ever going to see me on a bicycle. I mean, you'll see me on my Harley, but you won't see me. You won't see me pedaling. Well, two wheels is two wheels, right? Two wheels, that's right. That's right. I have, you know, I have friends that are, that are rabid cyclists. Um, and I was actually, this past weekend was at one of their houses and he was telling me about his bike and I started ticking off. Like he's just rattling off parts and, and what you know, <laughs> cost that and this cost that. And I started just kind of doing some back of the napkin math. That is not a cheap hobby. No, no. And, and, and bicycling. Yeah, definitely. Definitely not either. I, I, one thing I always, and I'm going to ask some motorcyclists just because I've always been, been confounded by this. Why is it the people that ride bicycles called cyclists and people that ride motorcycles called bikers? What's yeah. up with that? <laughs> that is a great question. I don't know. I, I have to be careful though. Cause I, you know, I live in Colorado. Everybody out here likes to, to be on their road bike cycling. And so when I say, yeah, no, I ride and they go, Oh, well, what kind of bike do you have? And I say, well, it's a Harley. Harley. No, 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 no. We're, we're talking like what kind of gears do you have? It, it's a lifestyle that I have a great deal of admiration for, but again, I'm not going to see me on it. So I appreciate you. Uh, uh, sharing that with the audience. So let's jump into a little bit of background on you. I have yet to run into anybody in the sales profession who, when they were younger playing with Erector sets or Transformers or GI Joe or whatever it was when they were kids said, Hey, when I grow up, I want to be in sales. <laughs> so true. help me understand how we got to the CEO of sales fuel uh, role. 
Well, that's interesting because uh, it, it, actually, I, I blame uh, I blame science fairs for this. <laughs> believe it or not, and uh, because that's where I learned the scientific method, and you know, which, which I still we still use here regularly every day in, in our research here, uh, sales research, mind you. But um, you know, it's I was always told that you know you got to gift the gab, you know, you can sell ice cubes, the Eskimos, all all those types of things. And, you know, when I finally embraced that, then, you know, and I really had to embrace that in the science fairs, you know, because really you're selling your research, you're selling an idea and, you know, a hypothesis that you had and the work that you did to either prove or disprove that. And uh, I learned that it was as, that, you know, as much about selling an idea as it was, you know, actually doing the actual research. I mean, you can't have both of them have to be solid, mind you. And uh, I was a, a finalist uh, two years at the International Science and Engineering Fair. Once in Houston, once here in, uh, here in Columbus, oddly enough. And, uh, you know, that kind of helped set me off. It's like, oh, maybe I should do the sales thing. And I was in radio for a while. I really enjoyed that part. So I didn't enjoy talking. But I realized that there was, you know, not a lot of money to be made on this side of the microphone. So <laughs> I actually started to uh, go out then and sell advertising, both in radio and then you know, newsprint and digital. I've done that as well. And, uh, and from there, it just kind of took off. Excellent. So in, in the practice at Salesforce, how about a little background on, on sales fuel in general, just so they've got the context as we move into the conversation around coaching? Well, at sales fuel, we're all about discovery and we like to fancy ourselves as discovery experts. We've been doing this for 30 years and our, our primary product is actually used by darn near every leading media company in, in, in the United States and many ad agencies and marketing agencies, digital firms as well. And that's a product called AdMall and that's a discovery product. Then it provides insight and uh, local business intelligence then for selling to small and medium-sized businesses. And so that's where we got our start. And of course, then we branched out, started selling that then to people outside of the media. And, uh, you know, and then from there, then one of the things that we discovered though, is that one of the, uh, the biggest choke points that, that we had, you know, with people using our product, it wasn't the reps. Everyone likes to complain about the reps all the time. <laughs> and, 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 you know, it, it really wasn't the reps. The choke point was really the managers because they, people would take their, their best salesperson, promote them to manager, give them no management training whatsoever, give them no backup, you know, just show them how to generate what report and what meeting they had to show up to and, and how to put out fires and things. And all of a sudden, boom, you're a manager. And, you know, candidly, that's uh, one of the, biggest issues that, that we've seen. And uh, so we decided we wanted to start tackling that. So we took the, the science of discovery uh, and took it from prospecting then into sales management. And that, that's what's led us into sales coaching. And so what is it? So is it the choke point, the fact that it was a choke point in the growth of your own organization that, that kind of created that passion and focus on it? Or was it something that was always there that, that you understood that it was, there's this element of coaching that has to happen uh, in order for anybody to get better. I mean, you know, from Tiger Woods to you name an athlete, everybody's got coaches. Yeah. And sometimes um, more than one. So if you yeah. have a good one and for me, I'm going back to my science fair days, whatever I had a, a science teacher back in high school or whatever, who was really like a mentor to me and almost like a second father. I mean, he really helped me out tremendously, both as a man and as a student and as a scientist even. And uh, if it weren't for him, I, I wouldn't have had that kind of success that I had, you know, you know back at, back in high school. And then, you know, I was able to build on that in college. And uh, you know, if it weren't for people like that, and I can think of several mentors that I've had that have all been coaching me in some way, shape, or form. And uh, without them, you know, I guess it's said that we all stand on the shoulders of, of giants. And the uh, same thing applies here. 
Yeah, I mean, it, it becomes, I, I'm with you 100%. I have those individuals. And there was research I read somewhere that something like by the time you hit 40, if you look back across your life, there were 10 pivotal experiences, seven pivotal decisions, and five pivotal individuals that changed the trajectory of your of your life, career, whatever it may be. And as I was reading that, it dawned on me, I can look back and I can literally tell you those five individuals were in coaching roles, not in necessarily just sports, but in coaching roles, that mentor role, and it built a passion in me for it as well. I'm curious, how have you seen organizations when you work with organizations, how do they tackle that? Because just like you said, they always promote, hey, here's our top earner. They'll be a great manager. Now go forth and conquer. And I, man, I can't tell you how many top sales executives I know, individual contributors who tried the management track and went, yeah, no. And jump, mm-hmm. right? Because it was too painful. So curious how, when you interact with organizations, how you see them either proactively or maybe perhaps not actively enough working to enable those coaches and managers. Well, I, I like to say that if you, you know, if you improve a sales rep, you've improved one person. If you improve a sales manager, you've improved their entire team. And so one of the things that, you know, that I see that's not happening is that sales managers aren't getting coaching. I know that. Right now, it's like, you know, coaching is finally coming into its own as something that a manager ought to be doing, you know, with their reps. But the thing is, it's like, who, who's coaching the manager? Who's coaching the manager on how to be a better manager, better, how to be a better leader? And also for that matter, a lot of managers, great, more than 30%, according to the research that, that we've done here, actually still have a sales role and still are, are managing accounts. And, you know, so, (laughs) yeah, well, that's, that's the other thing too. I mean, the last, think about this, the last player coach in major league baseball was Pete Rose. (laughs) And, and, and and he was neither a good player nor a good manager when, when he was doing both. And so, uh, maybe that that, had to tell people something that the whole, you know, one of the things I think that really holds people, uh, hold sales teams back is like when you have a manager that's functioning as a, as a player coach and in some ways can even be competitive with, with the very reps that he or she is trying to help. And, you know, that's not a good thing either. And so, I know it's not always possible. I know sometimes in, in B2B, especially in startups and emerging companies, even in our company, I mean, we finally just got to the point where our, our sales uh, person in charge of sales and is actually not, not, not managing, not actually actively going out there and selling. But, you know, it's, it's taken a while. And I get that. I mean, I get that. But it's like if you have the ability to be able to do it, you should definitely do it and make sure that your sales manager is, is a manager, a coach, and a leader. And, you know, all those things before ever thinking about making them a salesperson. Absolutely. And so when we were prepping for this, you mentioned that there are, there are things that sales managers do to limit growth that you've seen, uh, that maybe the research has uncovered or you've come across. Let's, let's dive into those. I think you mentioned three or four things that, that you see consistently that limit that growth. And I think it would be very educational for our audience to understand those. Well, I, I, of course, naturally, we've, we've been talking a lot about coaching, obviously, and that's something that we see is not happening enough that, uh, you know, Kevin F. Davis in, in, uh, in his book, which is a sales manager's guide to greatness says that the typical sales manager only spends about 8% of their time on coaching. And if you're not a sales manager, you might think that seems awfully low, but it's like, you know, if you say that to any practicing sales manager, you'll say, Oh yeah, that's absolutely true because I've got to do this, 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 and they'll start rattling off all the things they've got to do that, that don't include coaching and making their people better. And, you know, you can do a sales blitz, you can do, you know, whatever training program. The problem is that training program, the, the knowledge is not going to stick unless you reinforce it, you know, and you do positive reinforcement. 
over time of, of the lessons learned in, in the training session. You can do a sales blitz, but that's, that's, that's like candy. That's short term. And once that wears off, you've got to turn around and, and, and try some other gimmick down the road. And the best way to have sustained improvement in a sales team is to make your salespeople better. And the best way to make your salespeople better is to start by making the sales manager better. And that's, I, I think, so the coaching is not just, it needs to be more prevalent among the reps, but it also needs to be, it needs to be happening then from leadership down to management. So that's number one in my book. Uh, number two in my book would, would be discovery. Before you can actually do uh, good coaching, a manager really needs to understand each and every person that's reporting to her. So she needs to understand what they like to do, what they don't like to do, what they're good at, what they're not good at. You know, what are their hobbies? I mean, you asked me a question about a hobby outside of work. They, they need to know that about, about the reps. What motivates them? Where's their vac favorite vacation spot, their favorite coffee? All this, you know, what, do, you know, what do they want to become in their career? What does success look like to them? You know, what's that number that they have in their head, that number that, that they feel like you know, if they reach that number then, you know, that they would consider themselves to be successful? There's all kinds of questions like that. And we've been taught naturally to ask these types of questions of our buyers. You know, when, you know, when we're prospecting and stuff, but, you know, again, sales managers are selling ideas and they're selling energy, <laughs> you know? So it's like, you know, we need to be able to have, be doing proper discovery on, on the people that report to us. And so I, I don't see a lot of that happening. I would say three, stop selling. If you can sell ideas, sell energy, or you know, I say sell energy, basically think of it as you manage the, the energy of, of your sales department, but sometimes you have, you, know, you have to do a little bit of motivation there as well. Uh, but, you know, try not to sell the actual product. The idea is, is to make your people better so that they go out and sell the product. And the fourth thing I'm thinking about is I'm thinking about culture. You know, why is it that you can take one salesperson that's really great in a role in one company and move them to another company and they don't do so well? And I, and I kind of liken that to sort of like uh, taking... Um, I don't know, a, a plant or a crop or something like that that grows really well in Ohio, but you move it out to Colorado out, out at altitude or something like that, and maybe it doesn't. And, 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 and that's really two reasons for that. One, it's either the environment or the, the culture, or it's the farmer or the gardener, and in this case, the manager. Right. And, and those, those two things are different than you're going to get, even from the same person in the same role, you're going to get much different performance. And so... Being very mindful of the environment and the culture on which the salespeople are, are, are living in and thriving in or dying in uh, <laughs> is very, very important. And you know that you set that based on you know what you allow and what you don't allow. And, and I tell you, it's difficult. It's you know, and because there are times I'm challenged by it as well. And you know, and I'm on the lookout for it. And I'm still challenged by it. So it, it's not an easy thing to do. And I would say for most companies, it's like, you know, your culture didn't get the way it is overnight. It's not going to be fixed overnight either. Right. So, I mean, it's sometimes, you know, it, it's, a, it's a big thing. So if someone wants to hire you as a manager and say, hey, come, come in and fix our culture, you know, ask for about a nine-year contract maybe. <laughs> and you got a chance. <laughs> I mean, and I would also say the other thing that I think managers don't do is that they don't really uh, they don't really manage their people for change or prepare them for change. You know, sales is all about change. You know, we're trying to get our buyers then to do something differently. You know, to, instead of buying from them, buy from us. Instead of using their product to do this, that they're meant buying our product to do that, in hopes of being of achieving a goal or overcoming a problem. And the same thing goes in, in internally as well. When you talk about transformations, particularly digital transformation, you mentioned earlier, is something that's, that's absolutely massive, particularly in the media and marketing world that, uh, you know, that I grew up in. Managers really have to prepare the battlefield for change. They have to prepare their people for change and understand that you know, a third of them are not going to be bought in, at least a third. 
and you're going to have to, you know, have some diff- some conversations with you know, with them about okay, what's it going to take to get you bought in? And if you're not bought in, then you can't you can't participate. And uh, you know, and, and actually pr- doing that so that's not a shock, and that it's uh, you know because that makes people very uneasy as well. You know, and and, and let them to get you know make them feel a little bit more comfortable with it, but also helping them to understand what their role in it is and how their life is going to benefit and change and be, change for the better is, uh, is something I don't also don't see happening enough of. It's a lot of times it gets rolled out and it says, Hey, this is the new way we're doing it. Get on board or get out. This is the edict from on high, you know, right. get on board. It's like that. That's, that's not going to, that's not going to work again. Your manager is like, you're selling ideas. So you're selling concepts. So it's like, it's your job then to get your team on board or, to select a new team. Yeah. Or, or, or realize that maybe management's not where you want to be. So when, when you went through that list, I'm curious. So the discovery element of it, I'm a big fan of that. I believe that I believe wholeheartedly that managers, especially today with the workforce that we've got and the way that it's changing, have to kind of uh, change and, and, and understand their approach to the people on their team. Has your research or have you guys found there to be a optimal manager to team member ratio in order to ensure that there is the time allotted for selling the ideas, so to speak, or coaching or, or things like that. You know, we, we've done a lot of research in that and we've, we've typically found that the average is around eight, but it's going to vary based on the needs of the eight. So if they require more hands-on and, and, and things of that nature, you're, you're going to have to spend a little bit more time and maybe eight's too many. There are some people though that are doing inside sales, running a phone room or something like that. The number, the number is higher and they can do that. So it really depends on the manager, but you're going to hear this a lot today. It's like, it depends on the people. Right. I mean, it depends on the people as individuals. So it's like how you coach them, you know, you need to coach them differently as individuals. You need to teach them differently as individuals and manage them differently as in individuals. And some require more time than others. And also some require more time in some situations and less time in other situations. There's a lot of variables happening there. So it's really difficult, I think, to, to say, well, this is a sweet spot because, again, then there's the manager as far as their role in, uh, in what they can handle effectively at one time. Right. And so, and this is the heart of, of, I'm assuming the heart of what you guys call the adaptive sales coaching concept. Is that fair? Yeah. I mean, it it starts with discovery to, to, to learn, you know, where the skill gaps are, where, you know, and also, uh, any behavioral tendencies and what their, you know, what their motivations are. And, you know, and we also even ask people, ask our managers to to check in on their favorite things. And when we do that, because of a piece of research that we did called the voice of the sales rep, where we did 725 sales reps, did an exhaustive survey of them. And, uh, of sales forces of 10 or more. And, you know, we asked them, say, who's the best sales manager you ever had and what made them special? And it was a free form answer thing, but it was by and far and away the number one answer, the number one theme there was managers that cared, cared about them as people, cared about their professional success and them, you know, personally. And before you can really do that, it's like you really can't show that you care um, until you really, if you're not taking the time to get to know them. Absolutely. Absolutely. And just so we're talking about, okay, so there's the managers coaching the reps, right? And then there's hopefully leadership coaching the managers. Or right. providing that. Does the way that that happens or unfold, does culture impact the way that you would recommend someone approach the coaching based on, you know, the context. So for example, we're all probably in sales familiar with outcome based culture. Like here's your number, hit your number. 
you don't hit your number, mm-hmm. then your activities, right? Versus a relationship-based culture, which is kind of what the Seattle Seahawks use, not to go sporting because I'm not really a sports guy. Mm-hmm. Um, but they use it to identify and build a consensus of, hey, here's what's here's what you're great at. Here's what we know you need some work on. Here's what is possible for you. Let's agree to work on it together. Does it change? Can you still in an outcomes-based, what I would consider more... I want to say it's a, an older approach to culture and sales. How do you still effectively coach based on the different types of cultures you're going to run into? Well, I, mean, I think it was Jim Rohn that actually said that, uh, you know, if you want to have a better lifestyle, then, then you need better results. I'm paraphrasing here, obviously. If you want to have right. better results, you need to have you know better activities. But if you need to have better activities, you need to have a better attitude and you need to have better philosophies about, about, about how you tackle things. And so I would argue then that if you're in a results-based culture or an outcomes-based culture, it's like the way to get that outcome on a consistent basis then is for managers then instead of just hammering away at the results and, and the activities is to take a look at what affects those activities and, and to take a look at the motivations that are there, the type the behaviors that are there, the critical thinking that's there and work on and manage, manage to those things because that's how you improve the, the quality and the quantity of the activities, which is going to lead, improve the, the quantity and the quality of the results. And what kind of results have you guys seen when you get, when you work with organizations and they have the ability to, let's say, dedicate the time to the coaching? What's, uh, what are some of the leading indicators that you work with or, or suggest that managers pay attention to to see that their coaching is actually headed in the right direction before they get to the end and say, crap, we missed our outcomes, right? Or we yeah. didn't hit our goal. What help us understand what kind of the leading indicators you're looking for for somebody who's making the right strides in that coaching. So for example, then if you, if new business development it is a key part of your role in sales. Whenever we want to take a look at how good are you at discovery, and that's because that we find a strong correlation between those people who have struggle at closing, also struggle at discovery. And it's because if you if you've rushed discovery and you haven't done a good job there, then what's happened is that you haven't uncovered either you haven't uncovered real needs or real concerns, or you don't have the leverage that you need to actually tie it all together and to quantify everything and a closing argument. And so definitely you would have to start there. And so one of the things that we do is we do a sales aptitude assessment where we analyze then skill gaps between, okay, your job demands you to be strong in these particular areas of the sales process, and here's where you stand. And we do the same thing with sales technology. Then we, of course, do do a behavioral assessment. We do a motivational assessment. You know, we do critical thinking as well. And, of course, then we also do a culture assessment then, which actually is also used then to help guide the managers. So identifying what those skill gaps are first and also charting progress and closing up those skill gaps is, I think, is really the, the first thing that needs to happen. But also making sure then that the manager can use that information and to better communicate with the sales rep. So they don't care necessarily, you know, what you think, but they, they, they care about, you know, <laughs> that, you know that you care, that, that, uh, how, you, how you're making them feel in a situation. Well, communications, I mean, that's key, right? Communication right. skills is key. And just as there are individuals and you have to kind of adapt to your, your way of coaching and approaching them, you also have to be able to modulate or have control over communication style, which... I think a lot of people struggle with in sales because everybody, oh, you know, hey, was it Glengarry Glen Ross? Always be closing or boiler room, right? These are the right. stereotypical types of alpha cultures that were 
we, we stereotypically say this is what exists in sales. I can tell you in the last three organizations where I was running sales teams, that was not the way that it went. But there is an awareness that has to happen in order to understand your own self well enough to understand how to change your communication. Are there ways that you have uh, things that, that maybe our audience, you could share with the audience that you believe would help them understand how to more effectively uh, modulate their communication for greater connection and results? So we have this thing called a communication coach, which is built into our sales fuel coach platform. It's an adaptive sales coaching platform. It's a SaaS platform that helps then uh, provide structure and regularity then to to, to sales coaching. So that way you can still coach everybody differently and communicate with everybody differently, but it also keeps keeps everything on track. And according to CSO Insights, their research shows that when you have a, a formal structured coaching program, it's 35% more effective, or at least a 35% better outcome than if it, you leave it up to each individual manager just, just to go it alone and, and, and do things the way they want to do things, go by the gut, whatever. And so, you know, I would say that uh, it really starts there, is that being able then to, uh, to to use that part of it. You can use that part of it then to be able to understand, okay, that person's very, you know, person is very direct and so therefore I need to get to the point. That person then is very creative. And so that maybe I need to, uh, you know, to paint ideas and concepts with them and, and be creative with them. And this person's all about data. And so I, I need to bring the proof, you know, so I just can't make a statement. You know, I need to make a statement and actually validate that what I'm saying is true through other research. So it's picking up on those types of things and our assessments and our communication coach actually does that for you. Excellent. All right. So let's change direction here a little bit. We ask all of our guests two standard questions towards the end of each interview. First is simply as CEO, that means you are a uh, prospect target for many people out there that want mm-hmm. to get in front of you. I'm always interested to know uh, if somebody doesn't have a referral, there's not a, there's not a relationship there. There's no, you know, nobody's walking them in, but they honestly believe they've got something that is going to help solve some of your problems. What for you is the best way to capture your attention, build that credibility and capture that 15 or 30 minutes for a first conversation? So since obviously then you know, we're all about discovery here at sales fuel, I would ask that you know, I want, I want people that do their homework. I don't want people to tell me, Oh, I've got this great product. It does X, Y, and Z It's like, I want you to actually, I want to actually know that you've actually done your homework on my company. And, you know, and I'm not just talking about just checking things out on LinkedIn, but I, I want, I want to see that you're actually doing a deep dive so that if you're, uh, and also I don't want you to start off recommending a product right away, uh, because it's like, if you haven't identified then what my needs or wants are, what my challenges are, or my goals are, it's like, you know, how could you possibly know what the recommendation should be? I mean, that, that's malpractice, right? I mean, it's like, so it's, <laughs> I mean, diagnosis, I mean, that's a, a prescription without diagnosis is malpractice. So it's like, you know, don't do that. And for the love of God, please do not connect with me on LinkedIn and then send me a sales pitch uh, uh, yeah. two, two seconds later because I will disconnect from you in a heartbeat because that tells me you're not, you don't care about me right. All right, as, as a connection or someone you want to network with. You only, are trying, you only care about me as a checkbook. And that, that's just not going to fly. Perfect. So last question, we call it our acceleration insight. If there's one thing you could tell sales, marketing consultants, one piece of advice that if they listened, you believe would help them be more successful, crush their goals, what would it be and why? It would be every sales call that you make, provide insight, provide some useful piece of information, be of use to the person that you're calling on. And also I would add, go, go into that situation then with the mental approach that I'm here to help. Sales is really all about helping. 
And if you help somebody meet their goals, overcome their challenges, then you're, you're going to sell. You're, you're going to sell plenty. But sell, if you go in it with that attitude, I'm here to help that person. And then you prove that by providing them then with some insight of something that they didn't know, either about their industry, about their customers, about their company, you know, or, you know, you bring a creative idea then that, that can help them. That goes an awfully long way and building trust and also uh, making sure that hey, next time they'll actually pick up the phone when you call them. They'll actually respond to your email because they actually feel like that you're going to be of use to them. Perfect. Lee, if a listener's more interested in learning more about you, speaking with you specifically about the coaching topics, what's the best way? Is there a place on SalesFuel website or how do you prefer that they reach out to you? Well, absolutely. Go to, go to salesfuel.com. There's a contact us page there. You can also reach out to me at, on LinkedIn. And my, uh, my handle there is C Lee Smith, the letter C and then Lee Smith. And you'll find me there on LinkedIn. And uh, by all means, you know, reach out to me in e- either way, and uh, we'll be happy to, to, to speak with you and have, have a nice conversation. Lee, I can't thank you enough for taking the time. It's been great to have you on the show. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. All right, everybody, that does it for this episode. You know the drill. Drop us a review. Share it with friends, family, and coworkers. And until next time, we at Value Selling Associates wish you all nothing but the greatest success. You've been listening to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show on iTunes or your favorite podcast player. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.